the whole of South America, the islands of the Pacific, not heretofore possessed by Great Britain, the whole of the Malay Archipelago, the seaboard of China and Japan. Just the, ultimate- the whole fucking world, because these guys own everything No, else. Brian, don't you interrupt him, because one of the things that separates the trilateral troika from every other, every other podcast is thick receipts. <laughs> Steve reads the ultimate- thick receipts. <laughs> Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. Hello. And Ryan. I'm still on the hard stuff. Holy shit, I thought you, like, cocked a gun for, like, half a second. (laughs) (laughs) It's Quarantine's getting that heavy. I mean, it's James and Cole Brew, so it might as well be a gun straight to my gut. I I heard a noise outside, it was the mailman. (laughs) (laughs) All this quarantine's got you paranoid now? Oh my god, dude, you have no you almost, idea. You almost pulled a Carol Baskins, you almost shot the, shot the male <laughs> neighbor's, the dog. neighbor's dog. <laughs> my, uh, my, my paranoia during the, the thing has definitely played off, because someone stole a car and crashed it like into an old outhouse ditch in the woods across the street from me, and I found it, because I heard a noise, and I went outside and took the garbage out. Uh-huh. And I looked in the woods, and there's just a car in the woods. Like, picture thickly forested woods. How does a car get there? Like, unless it got warped in. Have you seen Harry Potter? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's about the only way you could get it back there, though, you know? Like, have J.K. Seen, Rowling's. Have well, you that's, seen The that's... Sopranos? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah. That's that's just the power of a 4x4, you know, that's the Ford guarantee. <laughs> Dude, it was a fucking, like, F-350. Oh, yeah, that thing, that thing could, like, mow down that forest. That's like the Canyon Arrow. Yeah. <laughs> it's six miles long and eight lanes wide. It's it, a, it gets, like, six miles to the gallon, so they probably just ran out of gas in the middle of the woods. Canyon Arrow. Speaking of Canyon Arrows... Speaking of off-roading, we're going to talk about legendary off-roader Cecil Rhodes. Yay! Oh, no, no relation to Dusty Rhodes. I would, you know, I swear to God, I swear to God, I all thought it was related to Co- like, Cody Rhodes. Cecil Rhodes is Dusty Rhodes' third cousin, twice removed, and also the progenitor of the bionic elbow. True story. He he used it very frequently in his in his journeys throughout Southern Africa. You're telling me, uh. uh like some jerk off was just going around Southern Africa, just dropping elbows on people. And that jerk off's name was Cecil. Hey, watch yeah, this! That's... I'm going to drop the big elbow. He was British. Oh, yeah, he was. He was watch British. this, then. I'm gonna go over here, <laughs> drop a big ass elbow on that that dark man over there. Watch him, I'm gonna get him. <laughs> You're gonna win my blood diamond mines, or I'm gonna drop an elbow on you, chap. <laughs> yeah. So the locals were fucking piss scared. Don't fuck with Cecil, all right? He's got a mean elbow. So Cecil He's like Rhodes, Jose Aldo. Sorry, go ahead. He's kind of like... He, he's almost like a supervillain, as you'll come to find out. Like, he, he could very much be, like, the progenitor of, like, Lex Luthor. He had his hand in Rhodesia. He has his hand in De Beers diamonds. He has his De- his hands in colonialism and imperialism. There's no way that this dude is not a gigantic piece of shit. But Stephen, let me ask you this, okay? 
Did he ever take 40 cakes? Mm. He probably did at one point. <laughs> That's like so four about- tens, dude. That's terrible. Well, the thing about Cecil Rhodes is, is that even though he was racist, he was no more racist than the normal person at the time. And he was actually somewhat like a little more nuanced in his racism than, than other men at that time. Um, but how he's, do you get nuanced with racism? I'm just curious. There's definitely some nuance, even to shitbags. I mean, yeah, like he he's, he didn't like he had he had qualifiers and he wasn't like like for instance he wasn't like we need to kill all the black people. Um, he was like he was like no we need to set up this system in this way. <laughs> well shit, let's give him an award. He was racist, but he didn't want them all dead. The only nuance I can think of is like the the cop holding up in Family Guy the cop holding up the color chart to Peter's skin that says okay not okay. It's like that's the only oh nuance my I can think. Oh my <laughs> god. So I can think of. No, I, I think I think it's important to say that what Steve just said actually um, at least academically Cause cause, you know. Well, it, you look at it within the context of his time. It, it's not that the fact that like. Cecil Rhodes was a terrible racist, which which he is by today's standards, but by the standards of his day, he was pretty normal. Right. Like, so so when you say, like, it, it's not like, you know, he was just this one man running around being, like, terribly racist, like, everybody, like, felt that way. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it, it's almost kind of like, you know, that, that series that's on HBO that's based on a book called The Plot Against America, Mm, which yes. is about an alternate history where Charles Lindbergh is elected president in 1940, and like he he almost enacts like the final solution on the Jews. Yeah, and like it, 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 it's just Nazi. sort of like the fact you know that like anti-Semitism was like just as bad in America before World War II as it was like anywhere else. And and the same is true with sort of like European racism and, and sort of white racism against people of color. Um, during that time period. Okay. Mm. Um, so, uh, Cecil Rhodes was born in 1853. Um, oh, yeah. He was Bishop's, definitely racist. Bishop Stratford, Hertfordshire, England. His his father was a reverend named uh, Francis William Rhodes, and his mother was named um, Louisa Peacock. Uh, real question before we get any further into this clown. Um, is this, is this, does this guy have anything to do with the Rhodes Scholarship? Yes. <gasps> no. Um, so, Fuck. his, his, his father was I a, laughed um, because I thought you were joking. No, I didn't know that this was the dude. That's, yeah. oh, that's so shitty. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. It, it's, 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 it's a thing. No. Um, so... <laughs> So Francis's father, he was what was called a perpetual curate, which is a a, a clergyman who's like always at a church. Like he has an assigned church, he doesn't move around. Um, and he was the, the the perpetual curate of a church in uh, Brentwood, Essex. Um, and then he eventually became a vicar um, of Bishop Stratford, which is sort of like you mean a vicar um, above a priest. Yeah, vicar. Um, he. He he was somewhat noted that he was proud of the fact that he never gave a sermon longer than ten minutes, which which to me makes him an awesome like yeah. pastor that he only gives like a ten minute sermon because yeah you're gonna be able to get out of church in time for kickoff on football days football yeah games. you're 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 checking that watch you know you're just looking at the priest and just you know tapping that watch <laughs> you just hear in the background do 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 um so uh. 
a problem that young Cecil had, and, and this is something that like plagues him for most of his life, is that he was very unhealthy. Um, psoriasis. Psoriasis of the neck. <laughs> it was actually, he was, um, I, I guess you would call it rheumatic. Um, he, he suffered from conditions similar to asthma. Yeah. Um, and at the age of seven, um, he was sent to live with his, his aunt, um, Sophia Peacock, um, at a boarding house in Jersey. Was that her real um, name? Sophia Peacock. <laughs> okay. No, that was just her stage name. Oh, okay. It was actually like Sophia Pigeon. <laughs> she was she was at the Peelers, and they they she needed a good name to bring in the lads. <laughs> Josephine Baker, honey, you're gonna need a better name. Um, but he's but we know he he lived there during that period because he was recorded in the 1861 census living there. Um, he, he would eventually go on to attend a grammar school um, at the age of nine, um, but he would eventually have to be taken out um, a couple years later in 1869 as his health worsened. Um, so it, there were a lot of fears that he had tuberculosis because some people in the family had had tuberculosis. Um, so his father arranged for him to go live in South Africa due to the warmer climate. Which, was, which, which, you know, the dry, warm climate was actually a a, a medical, quote unquote, cure for tuberculosis so at the time. It's, yeah, which it's, is very common. It still is. Like they still suggest for people who have it to yeah not be in. Learn uh, that from Red climate. Dead Redemption too. Yeah, yeah. asthma, asthma too. A lot of people with asthma yeah. move out to like Arizona and New Mexico. Way to way to spoil the last couple chapters, there, Ryan. <laughs> way to spoil the, the last couple chapters of a game that came out in 2018. Sorry. <laughs> there's there's like a 15 year like thing on spoilers moratorium. I've never played it either, bro. I mean, yeah. Well, it's on the Game Pass, Steve. It wasn't there when I looked, I bro. Said. I if it's not, you should get it. I'm, I'm definitely, time, I definitely want to get it, you know. By but the anyway. time you get through the 846-hour campaign, you'll forget what I just said. Oh, yeah. I will, I'm not easily I, spoiled because I don't have the attention span to be. I'll, I'll let you borrow it. No, no, I don't want to borrow I beat it. I, I want to own it. Uh, but anyways, um, so he sent to South Africa to live there due to the warm climate. Um, and he, he mainly lived there on, on money that was lent to him by his, by his Aunt Sophia. Um, and he eventually um, stayed with the Surveyor General of, of Natal, which is a region in South Africa, named Dr. P.C. Sutherland, and um, there he took an interest in agriculture. Um, he would go to join his brother Herbert um, on, a, on a cotton farm in the um, Unkomazi Valley in the Natal. Um, but eventually, this this farm would fail because uh, the climate and the soil was was not very compatible with cotton. In in eighteen seventy one, were they wearing cotton think, uniforms? Well, I, I would imagine you don't want to be wearing wool in that climate. Costanza, <laughs> and I don't think they were wearing velour either. <laughs> <laughs> My silken skivvies. They're just they're just walking around Africa dressed like prince. <laughs> oh, did you, did you see Rhodes? Yes, he's got quite a sailing ship. Yes, one might say it's a little red Corvette. <laughs> I think the term Corvette refers to a ship, originally. I 
think so. I'm pretty or sure. A, a Corvette. A Corvette is a class of ship. Yeah, yeah. Um, Little red Corvette. Well, a Corsair is like a, that's a like a pirate. It's a pirate that's been paid by the state, I think, something like that. Yeah, they're they're a pirate that works for the uh, for for a government. They okay. they have a marquee. And do they ride on the on the Corvette? Corvette. They might have a Corvette. Yeah, I think it's up a, to them. You know, they have to supply their. I own think ship. a Corvette's like a super fast like ship that's used for like quick interception and boarding and stuff like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a it's a small vessel. You sent me an article a while ago, by the way, that we could do an art we could do a show about, but we'd lose all our listeners. It was like on the taxonomy of starships or something like that. Oh. <laughs> and I read the whole fucking thing like a fucking weeb. And uh, you could have Neil deGrasse Tyson be our only listener. It's so interesting, though. It's just really interesting. Anyway, he would he would be our only listener, but he'd have like these nitpicking, like like turbo <laughs> yeah, nerd things to say. <laughs> Those hive mind opinions. Oh well, uh, you know, ga- not hive mind. Could be better. Galaxy uh, brain. Know, a little bit of extra research. Uh, you knew that, you know. Shut up, Neil. Oh, you know the thing is, water's not real. It's not water. Water's wet. <laughs> you know. Mo- you know, more people die every year of uh, car accidents than they do in the mass shootings, so... So, checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> back, back to another monster. Um, so it, uh, I love it. In, in October of 1871, Rhodes, Rhodes at the age of 18 and his older brother Herbert, um, they left the colony for the diamond fields of Kimberley, um, in Northern Cape Province. Yeah, everyone hated Kimberly because she took all those fields. <laughs> um, he he was financed by um, N.M. Rothschild and Sons. Oh um, God! <laughs> and he and and gradually over a period of seventeen years, he would buy up most of the smaller diamond uh, mining operations in the Kimberly area. The only way this makes it worse is if you said this guy was financed by Bilderberg, not Rothschild, or both. Fuck. Well, technically, if you're financed by Rothschild, you're financed by Bilderberg, the Bushes, Hillary Clinton. QAnon. <laughs> oh my god. Q's got some investments. I, I, I don't know if Rhodes shows up in, uh, um, what's this, Jeffrey Epstein's little black book. <laughs> <laughs> All the adrenochrome he was probably eating. You know, he lived long enough to be uh, uh, the old Jeffy Eppy. Uh, so, in, in 1873, um, Rhodes leaves his uh, farm field in the care of a business partner. He still had a personal farm. Um, by the name of Rudd, and he sailed um, to England to study at university. Um, he was admitted to, to Oriel College, um, Oxford, um, but he stayed for only one term in 1873. Um, he, he returned to South Africa, mo- mostly due to the effects that the climate was having on his health, and he would not return um, for a second term at Oxford until 1876. Um, when, when he was at Oxford... Um, he heard a, an inaugural lecture um, from a man by the name of John Ruskin. Oh, I know um, who John Ruskin and, is. And, and this sort of like influenced a lot of the way he thought about things because John Ruskin was this sort of influential like jack of all trades writer and art critic um, that was pretty pretty popular up until World War One. I. I read this. Um, I do a lot of daily reading, and I and one of the books I've been reading. I just somebody told me one of my relatives told me to check it out. Is this like Tolstoy's 365 Days of Wisdom or whatever. And uh, 
he quotes John Ruskin like every other fucking day. Good lord. Um, yeah, he's John- got some good like snippets. I don't know who the man really is, but some of the some of the stuff's pretty pithy. But you know, he like well, I, I imagine that comes from his like art critic background. Um, but but in the nineteenth century, like you could very easily just be like a master of everything because the the amount of knowledge everyone knew in the world at that time was so small that you could very easily like academically like master all of it. Right, not artistically, but academically you could probably yeah. get pretty good at everything. Um so uh dur- during his career um at Oxford, um Rhodes came to sort of admire the system and he was quoted as saying whenever you turn your eye except in science an Oxford man is at the top of the tree. Oh, and and this will <laughs> this this will sort of come back as well as we'll see. Um but but while attending Oral College, Rhodes would also become a, a Freemason Oral College. in what was called the 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 Apollo University Lodge. And and eventually, when he returned to South Africa, he would join the South African Freemason Lodge. Um, but he he wasn't really like a big fan of the organization. But he still was a member due to his connection to the Freemasons. Do we know why he wasn't a big fan? I, I think it's just because of how they do their rites, because the Freemasons, like, each lodge is essentially like a fraternity. Mm-hmm. So they, they each have their own traditions and their own their own sort of ways of doing things. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're... My, I, I, you, Steve knew I was going to chime in as soon as he said Freemason, but he was wrong. I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but um, a lot of what he saw was the shortcomings of the Freemasons, would like later influence the sort of idea he came up with towards the end of his life, which which we'll go into. What's the spoiler alert on that one? What's the idea he had later? He on? he wanted to form his own secret society. That's never gone wrong. So that's uh, that seems really common in this time period. There were all kinds of like little. We could do a whole episode, sort of sort society. of the same way we did the museum one about secret societies at this time and probably even going a little bit earlier than that. So Rhodes Rhodes ultimately his his sort of dream that he has is that he eventually wants an Africa dominated by the British Empire and populated by Anglo Saxon settlers. What does he plan to do with all the native Africans? Well they would they would still be there. Um, they, they would still be around and they would still, you know, uh, just go on living, you know, as, as farmers or laborers, uh, mainly laborers, as we'll see, it was sort of his idea. Ah, okay. So he, what he wanted is white people to take over Africa and the Africans to be their slaves. Gotcha. He, yes. He, uh, wanted, he wanted Oxford whites to take over. He wanted the intelligent ones to come in and say, hey, well, Matthew, it, work my to, field. To, to, to quote... To quote Rhodes himself, um, I contend that we are the first race in the world, and that the more of the world we inhabit, the better it is for the human race. I contend that every acre added to our territory means the birth of more of the English race, who otherwise would not be brought into existence. That is an incredibly hot take of being the first race is white. Okay. Why didn't someone just tell this guy to go eat butt? This was a very common opinion at that time. That he should go eat butt? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> well, there, there's also the chance that he might have actually eaten butt, but, we'll, we'll, <laughs> but, that's, but that's that's sort of debated. My man had chronic conjunctivitis. <laughs> Forty cakes and butt eating. 
40, 40 oh uh, butt cakes. I'm going to Photoshop that image with Rhodes' face, and it's going to be the uh, the post for the fucking episode. Just make it a butt on his head. Just a butt. <laughs> I should just Photoshop his face over that Lex Luthor is stealing 40 cakes. That's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. You put his face there, but you replace the cakes with butts. <laughs> All right, God. Sorry. So... Rhodes sort of came up with his sort of ideas of doing business was that he would form close relationships with the British government um, in, in order to get favorable concessions or business terms from them. And he called the this was called the imperial factor. And you love them. You know them Brits love their imperial factor. And and sort of the way he would do this was was that hosted by um, Simon the, Cowell. The, the British Empire isn't really that keen on on expanding more than it needs to because a lot of the colonies don't really have a good profit margin all right so is that is that yeah is that true is that yeah because i call shenanigans because like for instance like india was constantly in the red and the only thing that really kept india in in the black just barely was telemarketing trade (laughs) and because and then when the and then when And then when the Microsoft, Microsoft support, <laughs> uh, scamming. I have talked to. No, they're not really. They're definitely are scammers, but they're they're a lot of them are actually like the legit Microsoft support reps. I talk to them probably once or twice a month, and they're great. But Jesus Christ! But so it, the colonies are not profitable. And that that's one of the reasons why the why we have that wave of like an, like anti-colonialism that happens in the wave of World War II because the British government and most of the European governments are so bankrupted by the war that they can't really support having these colonies and that's one of the reasons why the British just like let a bunch of them go. I guess and, the colonies should have pulled themselves up by their Oh, you mean after World War II? Yeah, but I'm saying at this time period, the margins of profit on these colonies yeah, are very I, are very low. I follow the argument you're making now, um, and but I didn't realize that you know the empire. Part of the reason the empire crumbled after World War II was that they were they were willing because they were not profitable. So you're saying, are I'm not saying you're saying this, but are you suggesting at all that if they were profitable, that it would have been perhaps a more difficult time with Britain after World War II? Well, I think that if the colonies were more profitable, they would have fought harder to, to hold on to them. Um, but in a lot of ways, um, they, they they just sort of like cut them loose at times. Wow. Um, except and, and except they, the Falkland Islands. Some some they hold on to. Well, the thing about the Falklands is is that no one from like Argentina has ever like inhabited the Falklands. It was always an uninhabited island until the British settled it. So that's why the reason why they held on to it was because that if Argentina was able to militarily force them to relinquish their territory, the same would be happening with, say, Gibraltar, with Spain, Hong Kong, like other sorts of scenarios would have played out. So that was one of the reasons why they were pragmatic and sort of pushing back. Mm. Side note, now that you mentioned Hong Kong, when does their quote-unquote ownership of Hong Kong end? In 1996. Oh, so they've been out of it. Okay, all right. Um, so um, most of Rhodes' sort of opponents during his like time are, are usually activists and missionaries, um, but he would usually come out on top with them because he was paying, you know, the cost of like sort of um, funding these these colonies. 
and because of that, the British Empire just sort of like looked the other way on some things. Um, Rhodes's um, uh, made foreign opponents were usually the Portuguese, um, who had a lot of um, colonies in the area, you know, like Mozambique, um, Angola, um, the Germans, um, who were in modern day uh, Namibia, um, and the Boers. Um, the Boers are sort of. Um, Dutch settlers that settled in uh, Southern Africa in the 17th century. And they've, they've sort of just been living there as farmers. And eventually after um, decolonization and, and sort of in the 20th century, they become the dominant um, sort of group within South Africa, as opposed to the British born um, South Africans. Hmm. Um, like, like for instance, in the 1950s, um, there the, were protests by by Boer students against like monuments to Rhodes because Rhodes is kind of an enemy of the Boers. How do you uh, spell Boer, the Boer like B O E R or the B O H R? B O E R S. Um, so it's like it, it's spread out um, Boers or or like Vores. What's that have to? <laughs> what's that have to do with? What's that have to do with the Boer War? We'll, we'll we'll talk about the Boer War. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Sorry. Bora Bora. Because that, isn't that is... where uh, isn't that where um, uh, Sherlock? Uh, what's, what's freaking guy's name? Wasn't he? All in right, the... it's past. You lost it. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely lost it. But fuck. But Boer means like farmer. Oh, okay. And they were they were sent there by the Dutch East India Company to to sort of settle the area, and then eventually the the British came in. And the Boers just kind of, like, move away from the British. Um, and then eventually they reach a point, which which we'll, find, which we'll see, where, where the British just sort of, like, take over their area. Hmm. But, but oh, they sort of just, down. like, when, when the British came in, they just sort of, like, packed up their wagons and then just moved, like, north. So they gentrified, is what you're saying. Yeah, they kick out all the, uh, the Dutch speakers. This is our area now. Um, and they, they also left too because the British the British in, in the 1820s in 1824 they banned slavery in South Africa would you say um, that these hyper nationalistic uh, inculcated inclusive or anti-inclusive uh, landed gentry were looking for safe spaces oh god yes I see um, they're but, like modern day white women in Brooklyn well the the Boers <laughs> The, the Boers are kind of crazy because when you look at some of like their personalities, which we won't really talk about, but but they're very reminiscent of like crazy like American like like settlers or like militia people. Like like one of the people that comes up during one of the Boer Wars is a guy who's like the prophet, and and he's like this like religious revivalist guy that like has like prophecies from God. The ha- the and, and he's very much like a like an American militiaman type. Like he just seems right out of that. Oh wow! Um, but but anyways, Rhodes's greatest desire, like his dream for for Africa, is to sort of have Great Britain control territory that stretches all the way from Cape Town, South Africa, to Cairo, Egypt. Good lord! And he wants to have like a railway or road system that connects the two. In that way, the with um, the rail and the road system, I'm sorry, that, that sort of um, development will follow. He wants a rail system to connect Cape Town, South Africa, yeah. 
with Cairo in the far north. Yes, he he wants a a road and railway system that would begin in in sort of the far southwest of Africa, Cape Town. Now, I might and, be and, ignorant, but you know, I, I'd like to think that I under I like to un- <laughs> I like to understand things. That is kind of idealistic, right? Like that's not nah. feasible, is it? Nah. It well it would it well, when you think about it, it is feasible because it would be like the the continental rail, railway system in the United States, yeah. or or the uh, Siberian railroad. It, it would it would take a long time and a lot of manpower to build. Oh, but it would you be guys possible. misunderstood what I said. Uh, I meant that like Africa is kind of a disjointed conglomeration of local tribes and governments well, and imperial. Well, settling. the thing about that is is that at this time, if you look at the map. You know, Great Britain almost has that. The the only Whoa. thing that really comes in their way is is sort of Belgium, with with the Congo Free State and later Congo, Belgian Congo, and, and the French, and and sort of when there's sort of the the mending of relationships between Britain and France before World War One, um, they come closer to realizing Rhodes's dream, uh, but they never really get it because of um, the Germans and later the Belgians. Um, so it's not really about the locals because the locals don't really matter because the only sort of um, African-controlled um, places in Africa at this time is Ethiopia, which is an independent kingdom. And then you have Liberia, which is a state that's sort of controlled by the United States, but not really that much. It, like the elite in, in Liberia at this time are mainly the descendants of American slaves who eventually become like the ruling class of Liberia. Huh. Interesting. Um, so, it it is something that is possible, but due to sort of the the like cutting up of Africa, which by this point Africa is like fully like cut up mostly um, by the end of Rhodes's life, that you could feasibly do it, but there's just other nations in your way that don't want you to have it. Again, I just want to go back to all these fucking nations that are like the the goddamn white women of Brooklyn where they just roll up into Africa and they're like, hmm, I like this. This is mine now. Why are we, at- that. Why are we attacking Brooklynese whites? <laughs> have you been to Brooklyn recently, dude? No, I have not been there recently. Uh, I went there a couple years ago and I had been there as a kid and I remember it wasn't like inherently shitty and dangerous just depending on where you go. But when I went there recently, it was just a whole 180 from how it used to be. Um, that in the Bronx, where they used to like not be great places, but again, white women came in there and land just drove the fucking land values up through the roof. Started building Trader Joe's, Starbucks on every fucking corner. Boom. Oh, I, okay, I see. I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah. So, well, while Rhodes is at Oxford, um, he continued to prosper in Kimberley, um, and, and before he left for Oxford. Um, he and, and his partner Rudd had moved from the Kimberley mine um, to invest in more costly claims of what was known as Old De Beers. Um, and, it, and it's sort of named after the, the owners of this farm who were um, Johannes uh, Nicolas De Beer and his brother Diedrich Arnoldus. Um, and so they purchased the land um, in, in 1839 um, from a a Karana chief named David Danzer. Um, and then eventually it, it ends up in the hands 
um, from these Afrikaners to um, Rhodes and his partner. Um, and this Afrikaners, you're talking about the Afrikaners, like spelled with a K. Yeah, Afri- Afrikaners are the Boers. Okay. They're they're I was the same. Where that name David came from it doesn't really sound like a African name in any shape, form, or fashion. Well, well, the the David Doncer guy is uh, is African. He, really? He's Karana. He he just has a Western name due to either converting to Christianity or taking on a, a Western um, name. Okay. Um, so it it's sort of a common thing um, among people who speak languages other than English. Um, if it's not something like Spanish or French or, or like a European language, that they'll just take on um, sort of a, a name of whatever the local language is so it's easier for people to pronounce. Mm, okay. Um, so th- this region was, was pretty big. Um, and from 1874 to 1875, um, the, the diamond fields were, in the, were sort of in a grip of a depression, um, but Rhodes and Rudd um, sort, sort of stayed on it and consolidated their interests. Um, and they also took chances moving into new areas to begin um, mining where, where people hadn't been mining before. Um, and, and after overcoming some, some technical difficulties with, with flooding in the mines, um, they, were able, um, they, they were able to sort of make the mines profitable. And he, he would eventually um, gain more partners, um, and he, he would eventually enter um, public life in 1880. And so... Um, he became a um, sort of representative um, in, in the sort of um, territory within the Cape Assembly. Um, it was called uh, Griqua West, and it was under the um, the ministry of of a minister named Molteno in 1877. Um, and even though this had a Boer constituency, um, he was able. They, they all remained loyal to him until his death. Hmm. Um, and, and so when, when he became uh, a minister in the, the Cape Parliament, um, the chief goal of the assembly was to help decide the future of uh, Basutu land, which is modern-day Lesotho, which is still kind of a, um, a state within a state in, in Africa. In mm-hmm. South Africa, it's one of those. If you look at a map of South Africa, you'll you'll see that there's like a country within South Africa, um, that's Lesotho. It's still like that today. Yeah, it, it has a king. Really. Um, okay. And it's I, I believe like Nepal, they they sort of extend most of their um, foreign policy to to South Africa, um, but it is still um, it, it is still like a, a considered a sovereign nation. Oh, okay. Um, and. And they sort of had this issue with um, restoring order there because in 1880 there was a rebellion called the Gun War, which is over the rights of Native Africans to bear arms. The G-U-N-N War? No, G-U-N, like gun, as in like, just like straight up a <laughs> just gun. Sounds, <laughs> just sounds stupid. <laughs> and they, they, well, they call it the Gun War because it was over the right to bear arms for Africans. Oh, uh, okay. So, so Native Africans, they... Because, um, because contrary, very much like Native Americans, like people have this in their their minds that you know, like they're just using like the the primitive weapons they'd used in the past. When in actuality, like most of them are using like like modern firearms of the day. Sure. I've seen dances with wolves. Completely accurate, by the way. <laughs> um, but but they were able to to successfully. Um, apply the policy and, and disarm most of the native Africans in the, in that nation. Wow. Disgusting. 
1887, um, Rhodes would officially um, establish the De Beers Corporation with N.M. Rothschild and Sons. Is this really um, where we're going is, with this? And this is the modern day um, De Beers. Oh, I know diamonds fucking are fucking worthless. Do not waste your money on yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Subtext: diamonds not actually valuable or rare. Fuck and, diamonds. And even during this time period, they're they're very much you know controlling the market on diamonds. That they are um, so, sort of um, messing with the supply in order to increase or decrease demand. It's just coal, right? It's just coal that's under pressure. I mean, and then, they are beautiful rocks when they're processed correctly, but the th- the point is that they're not actually rare. They're artificially rare. Yeah, there's a shitload of them. Yep. And, and on March 13, 1888, um, Rhodes and Rudd launched De Beers Consolidated Mining after the amalgamation of a number of their individual claims. So, so they sort of combine all these claims they'd been building up over the years into a single mining corporation. Um, and after about um, what is what would be in 2004 uh, 22.5 million US dollars in capital um, they they own the largest um, he owned the largest interest in the mine with that amount um, he would be named chairman of De Beers at the company's founding in 1888 um, he, he had attempted to expand uh, mining operations in that year into the southwest of modern day Zimbabwe um, which at that time is called um, Montebelli land. It wasn't Rhodesia yet. <clears throat> no, it, we'll we'll get to that. It eventually becomes named Rhodesia. I'm just waiting until we get to Rhodesia and and how we talk about this guy was an architect of uh, fucking apathy, just so I can raise my blood pressure and get mad and I can well, myself. Well, they didn't. Apartheid? They didn't have. They didn't apartheid, have apartheid sorry, yeah. in. They didn't have apartheid in Rhodesia. Yeah, no, no, um, no, but I, I know that he was but, just but yes, like an and, architect. And it, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but it, it's sort of his policies that he comes up with during this period when, when he's a leader the is eventually what it, comes yeah. to be the, the sort of the electoral policy of Rhodesia. Because, because Rhodesia didn't actually have any laws that prevented black people from voting. R- Rhodesia had a property requirement to vote that precluded most black Africans from voting. Hmm. Where the fuck Wait, which is which before? is what Rhodes hmm. starts, and we'll get to that. Hmm. Where have I heard that before? Voter suppression for minorities. Hmm. God, that sounds so um, familiar. It, well, in this case, it's voter suppression of the majority, um, but still. Um, so, yeah. so Rhodes sends this missionary named John John Moffat, who's who's the son of another missionary named Robert Moffat, um, who's trusted by the local leader of this tribe named um, Wabangula. Um, Gabagool. And, and Gabagula. The Gabagula tribe, known for their cold cuts and meat sweats. <laughs> so, uh, they they convince uh, Labangula to sign um, a treaty of friendship right. with Britain. What? Gabagool. Say it right. Laban. At first, the Gabagool w- did not sign the treaty because they wouldn't allow him in in his track pants. He was too sweaty. Yeah. Sweaty and, and his stains on his wife beater and his, with his chest hair coming his, out the top. And his track pants. <laughs> so he he signed this treaty of uh, friendship with Britain, um, and and also to to look favorably on on Rhodes's proposals, um, but they didn't really go into the details about the proposals um, because um, Charles Rudd, who was um, Rhodes's cousin, uh, Rhodes's partner that we had mentioned before. Um, he had assured um, Wabangula 
that no more than ten white men would mine in Matebe land. And this this limitation, though, was left out of the document, which was called the Red Concession, that they eventually got Labangula to sign. Um, and, it, and it also stated that the mining companies could do anything necessary to their operations. Um, mm-hmm. So they left out the thing they had promised, and they also said that they could pretty much do whatever they needed to do in order to operate. They just wrote themselves a blank check, basically, to do whatever the fuck they wanted. Yeah, and when, and when Labangula discovered this... Uh, he he tried to renounce it, but the British government ignored him. Um, so R- Rhodes and associates um, in, in the early days they set themselves up to make um, to make what would be hundreds of millions in in pounds today um, over what he described as um, suppressio veri, um, which is which is sort of um, sort of coming up with these agreements where they don't state everything that they're going to do and using language that, that sort of allows them to do what they want to do. So basically the exact same thing happening today, kind of. Yeah. But he, he does it in such a way that it's very like, it's more dishonest than usual. Mm. Um, because, and also too, um, the, the British government and the, the public have been led to believe that the Rudd concession was vested in what was called the British South Africa company, um, but in actuality, the concession was given to a short-lived um, company that was owned by Rhodes, Rudd, and others um, from what was called the Central Search Association, um, which they had quietly formed in 1889. So they essentially make this mining deal under under the equivalent of like a shell company. God damn it. Um, and then eventually, it, the entity renamed itself to the United Concessions Company in 1890, and soon they sold the Rudd concession to the, the chartered company for a million shares. So they, they sort of take over this mining concession with a shell company, and then they eventually sell it to um, the, the actual like chartered company. Sounds illegal. Um, so when, when the colonial office sort of found, the, found out about this in 1891, um, they advised the Secretary of, St- of State for the Colonies um, to consider revoking the concession, but no action was taken. So they, they do see, like, this was illegal and they lied, but nothing's really done about it. Again, nothing changes. Just reminds me of the and, Dave Chappelle skit where uh, Chip gets away with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chip. No, Chip, don't do it. But it was too late. Chip walked over there with his British East India Company. He was high as shit. So, excuse me, sir. In, in 1889, um, Rhodes would obtain a charter from the British government for his British South Africa company to rule police and make new treaties and concessions from the Lipopo River to the Great Lakes of Central Africa, which would have given him most of the territory of what is modern-day uh, Zimbabwe. Um, he obtained he further concessions and treaties north of the Zambezi River, such as those in... Uh, Barotseland, um, which was the Lochner concession with King uh, Lawanika in 1890, um, and it's very similar to what was done with the Rudd concession, and in the Lake uh, Maweru region, um, which was from Alfred Sharp's 1890 Kazembo concession. 
Um, Rhodes also sent this man Sharp to get a concession over what was called uh, the Katanga region, which um, Katanga is in the south, like the southern part of what is modern-day Congo. Um, but he sort of met his match because he he goes to speak with the ruler who's this king named uh, Masiri. And he's unable to sort of get a concession from Pasiri, but King Leopold of Belgium hears about this, and so he just sends his men to get the concession from Masiri, and they just kill Masiri and, like, take the land when he that won't, like, like, give them a concession. Shit. Sounds like some real mafia. Hey, listen, uh, I need you to go get it by any means necessary, you know? Because this is also during the period in the Congo Free State where they're, like, cutting off the hands of, like, Native Africans because they're not meeting their quotas. Oh, oh my god. I, I like we could like there I would say we could do an episode on that, but you should just listen to the Behind the Bastards episode on King Leopold. And and he goes into pretty good detail about what was going on. Like this is the thing that inspired a good the, the novel Heart of Darkness. Oh my god. Where where the author of, of Heart of Darkness, you know, he worked in in sort of the docks in, in England. Joseph Conrad. Yeah, Joseph Conrad, he he was sort of this dock worker, and he notices that, like, when the ships come in from this company, which um, the Congo Free State is not, like, a colony under Belgium, it's a a colony owned by the king. It's kind of a... It's it's sort of a private company owned by the king. And when they come into shore, they have, like, all these goods that they got from from Congo, but when they leave, they're only loaded with, like, weapons and, like, dynamite and, like, just just all these things that you would use just to, like, to, like, hurt and kill people. Completely and normal. So, Completely normal. So, so he investigates that, and then he writes, like, Heart of Darkness as sort of, like, a commentary on imperialism and racism of the time. Yeah, that's a, that's a very controversial book because of the, the rawness of the topic in the, in his actual writing. People, I like uh, how people get upset about that too. People like, get people, people get really upset about people that. like, well, you can't. This is inappropriate. And yeah, I, I just get, people get listen, people get very upset about it for a bunch of different reasons. But um, I was gonna say like a good story about the Congo Free States. This book, uh, King Leopold by Michael Crichton, King Leopold's Ghost. Yeah, which is a good history book on, on that. Yeah, and also the also the novel and movie by Michael Crichton, Congo. <laughs> Terrible fucking movie. Amy, like, Amy, gorilla. No, shut up. Um, Rhodes, Rhodes had wanted to expand into what was called um, Bouchwanaland, um, which was a protectorate under the British, um, which is modern-day Botswana. Um, he wanted to incorporate it into the uh, BSAC charter, the British South African um, company. Mm-hmm. Um, but... When he tried to do this, the th- like three of the kings in the region, what were called the the Tuswana kings, um, they traveled to Britain and they won over British public opinion for it to remain government uh, governed by the British colonial office in London. Um, so, and, wait, so three kings from Africa went to England to do this? Yeah, they Was went it like to a England. Coming to America scenario. And they they went to England. They weren't looking to find a bride. They were looking to you know save. But I mean, did they Same. come in there like Eddie Murphy with like the dashiki and everything? You know? <laughs> well, he didn't wear a dashiki. He wore a very fancy coat with he, with uh, thought, like a fur hat. I, maybe that's what's throwing me off. I could have swore he was wearing a dashiki when he got off the boat originally. No, he was wearing like 
they they were dressed in like sort of like fur coats like oh, like fur lined okay. like coats and he had like a very fancy like like fur fur hat yeah okay. it's been a while then, since i've seen it yeah but anyways the these kings are able to to sort of like win over british public opinion um for them to remain under the british colonial office which is somewhat hands-off like the british are, are also sort of in, in, in when it's not run by like a british corporation um they're they're somewhat open to sort of the natives having more of a say and rule and they actually sort of prefer that because it makes things more stable um but but rose after being beaten he he commented it is humiliating to be beaten by these n-words and 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 apparently he would he would use this um fairly often um when, when he would sort of talk down on um sort of africans and, and he was also, also he was also not very happy at times when he was humbled and he would have to meet with African leaders sort of on their terms. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and then the, the, the British yeah. colonial the British colonial office had also decided to administer um, British Central Africa, um, which was then called uh, Nyasaland, which is uh, Malawi today. Um, and this is mainly due to the activism of, of David Livingston of the Dr. Livingston fame. Um, so he, he was able, they, they were able to sort of stay out of under the corporation, but Rhodes was able um, to, to sort of like get in there um, because he would help pay for the security um, of this colony in order to assist in the sort of the protection of his own interests in the region. So, okay. so again, he, he has a businessman just just sort of moves in and then just pays the government to to sort of protect his own interests and it's it's not really like uh like a payoff type type situation it's more of like hey i'm i'm gonna pay the cost of like the local police um but and then i also want to do this business is that so is that okay um so it's less you know i'm gonna hand you a sack with a bunch of like pound signs on it and more like, I, I'm actually going to pay for the infrastructure of this colony and invest in it, and then I just like some favorable like terms out of it. It sounds really good. Like when you explain it like that, it sounds good. But being what we know about this guy, I'm sure it didn't go down like that. Well, I, I always say that because that's part of the reason like he got away with it, like because he was he was actually sort of like helping things. He, he was in many ways being a good citizen, mm-hmm. whereas he is like a somewhat like corrupt. And like, I, I would almost say nefarious businessman. He he does have like the public interests at heart in terms of like the British Empire. His public. Yeah. Well, His yeah public. the 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 empire. You know, because because most uh, most colonial subjects at this time don't really have rights. Um. So in in 1890, Rose becomes prime minister of the Cape Colony. Um. And he would introduce a bill called the Glen Gray Act. Um, and what this act did was it pushed um, black people from their lands to make way for industrial development. Um, and Rhodes's idea with this was that he wished to drive these people off their land um, to stimulate them to labor and, and to sort of change their habits. And, and he's quoted as saying, it must be brought home to them, Rhodes said, that in the future, nine-tenths of them will have to spend their lives in manual labor, and the sooner that is brought home to them, the better. God damn, so, so this is very much like the model of apartheid in um, South Africa, and this is very much like how modern-day um, sort of Israeli policy is with Palestinians. 
because um, this is this, this is sort of the model of what they want to do, and this isn't like conspiracy theory, like like anti-Semitism or whatever to say this. Like this, this is what they're lined out. Like policy is for like the Palestinian territories is to sort of force them off their their traditional farming lands and push them into the industrial sector. Um, and at this time too, um, his monopoly of the world's diamond supply. Um, was sealed after he made strategic partnerships with the London-based Diamond Syndicate. Um, and and during this period, they agreed to control the, the world supply of diamonds to maintain high prices. Is that the um, name of it? The Diamond Syndicate? Yes. Yeah. Man, that, yeah. Sounds, just, that sounds like it's on the it up just, and up. <clears throat> yeah, sounds like, like the icy cold hand of death. Like, yeah, it sounds fucking <laughs> evil. You can't name anything a syndicate without somebody being like... Um, ah. He would... He would work. He would supervise um, his brother's claim and speculated on his behalf. And he would also make associates with John X. Merriman and again with his partner Charles Rudd. And they would later um, they would later found the Niger Oil Company. Um, which, which if you know anything about modern day Nigeria and, and that sort of that region, the, the Niger re- uh, River region, is it's very rich in oil. Um, in, in 1892, Rhodes financed the Pioneer Fruit Growing Company at New Ikadoct, a, a venture um, that he made with a man named Harry Pickstone, um, who was an Englishman who had been growing uh, fruit in California. Um, what kind of fruit going to grow over it, there in Africa? And, and essentially what had happened was that in, in the 1880s, um, they used to farm wine and, and grapes in, in the Cape region, um, but it was devastated by, by a disease called um, phylloxera. Um, and, and this commonly happens with, with sort of farming is that a, a disease will sort of wipe out the, the crop in question and they can't really farm that crop there oh, anymore. Oh, the crop, um, a crop disease. Okay. I thought, yeah, I thought, it's a, it's a grape I thought everyone had the phylloxera, you know, like the rickets. No. Um, and, and because they had to um, sort of destroy their vineyards, um, they had to look for a new new avenue, and they began um, they began farming. And Rhodes was sort of um, sort of growing this, um, starting this sort of like corporate farming um, situation there. And this is also around the same time that they have successful refrigerated um, shipments of fruit um, to Europe. So they're actually able to get the fruit to market in Europe. So are they um, paying? Uh, people to work on these farms? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, there. Like in a traditional, like, job kind of pay, or like a, you know, almost like a pseudo slavery kind of thing? Well, probably equivalent to like the Grapes of Wrath. It's, it's farm labor, Steve. No one, no one has ever paid like a living wage to like, to like pick grapes or strawberries or whatever. We don't pay a living wage to farm migrant laborers now. Yeah. Why yeah, the fuck it's, do you think they would have done it back then uh, when it's, dropping it's, the N-word with the hard I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying that it would have happened. I'm just I'm just asking how bad it was. But they were, they were paid. Slavery is illegal in, in the British colony. Oh, yeah. It's quote marks in the air. Wink, illegal. Wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Illegal. That they do, they do have to pay them and the colonial office does like step in if somebody is using like the natives is, is like slave labor. Well, and they forget yeah, to make their influence payments to fuck off. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in 1892, 
um, due, due to the growing number of enfranchised um, black people in the Cape Colony, um, Rhodes would raise the franchise property requirements to counter um, this, this sort of growing number of black voters. Uh-oh, too many black people make it harder for them to vote. Um, so so this change had a, had a drastic effect on, on sort of the, the voting population, um, and it simultaneously limited the amount of land um, that Africans were legally allowed to hold. Um, while tripling the property qualifications required to vote. Um, so he almost like completely disenfranchised the black population. Hmm. And, and he would also be an architect of, uh, of an act called the Native Lands Act, which came into being in 1913, um, about a decade after he died, um, that would limit the areas of the country where black Africans were allowed to settle in less than 10% of the country. Is it kind um, of like Manifest Destiny? Well, in, in South Africa, these would become to be known as, like, Bantu stands, and okay. and they're just sort of, like, reservations for, like, Native Africans. Ah, uh, okay. Um, at, at the time, uh, Rhodes argued, um, the Native is to be treated as a child and denied the franchise. We must adopt a system of despotism, such as works in India and our relations with the barbarism of South Africa. How do you say that with a straight face and not realize how much of a piece of shit you sound like? Like when you're just kind of equating barbarism to an entire swath of people. Like, well, you have self-reflection just didn't exist. Well, it's also the fact too that you have like scientific racism, where like people are reading in the books like phrenology, and they're just like that they believe that the races are distinctly different, um, and that 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 they sort of are incapable of doing certain things. Racism, and, social concept, and, anyway, and, and mm-hmm. that's just sort of the the mindset. Whereas, like, if you're not racist during this time period, like, that's that's the remarkable thing. Which is, which, yeah, I mean, like, like I going back, it's like the the U.S. in the '50s and '60s. You know, if you're not racist, it's pretty remarkable. But so Rhodes begins introducing educational reforms. Um, he he also begins. Um, he he also develops what's called the hut tax. In, in South Africa, and it was a type of um, taxation introduced in, in sort of the region that was done on a per household or, or hut basis, and it was and it could be payable in money, labor, grain, or stock. Um, and, and the reason why they did this was it raised money, it, it supported the, the local currency, um, it brought in the cash economy, and it aided further development, and it forced Afri- um, forced Africans to, to sort of become laborers. Because um, traditionally in South Africa during this time period, um, you would sort of have your wealth stored in your livestock, so your cattle mainly, which, mm-hmm. which is not uncommon in a lot of pre-industrial societies, yeah, yeah. is that you're, you you sort of have livestock as sort of like your investment. Yeah. Um, and because this, they couldn't pay the tax with cattle, um, they would send their, their family members um, to, to sort of work in sort of industries to raise cash. Um, because the, the colonial economy, it depended on sort of black African labor um, to build new towns and railways, um, and, and it's and they needed them to work in the mines as well. I just can't get over how these people just rolled up into South Africa, and they were like, hey, hey, you guys are going to start paying us taxes now because you live in a fucking hut. And everybody's going to pay a tax. If you can't pay it, you're going to work for us. Like that, It boggles my mind, I guess, if I can't get myself in that mindset of why these people didn't rise up and just dismember these people that came in there well, and tried to do that. Well, they, they do, and we'll, we'll get to that. Yes. Um, so 
in in 1893 yay um, uprisings <laughs> the the british south africa company came into um came into conflict with the the netabele kingdom and what's called the first um matabele war um so the matabele and the, the netabele are, are sort of the same people um but one of them is sort of a term from uh Suotho. um Matabele is um, based on a Suotho term called uh, Thebele, which is people who sheltered behind tall cowhide shields. And it's sort of like with Native American tribes where you have like the Eskimos of the Inuit. Mm-hmm. Like you refer to them as Inuit because that's what they refer to themselves as. Mm-hmm. Like Eskimo is like a derogatory term from another Native American tribe. Oh, really? So, yeah, so it's it's mostly just like like foreigners sort of naming one people after the term that another native people use. I didn't know Eskimo was a shitty term. Huh. Yeah, it's like a it's like a derogatory term in the one tribe's language. I forget what tribe it is. So if um, you were to meet an Inuit person today and call them an Eskimo, they would be less than thrilled? Yeah, they probably wouldn't like it. I, okay. Uh, but um, the the king, which again is King Lobangula, um, he, he was hesitant to go to war, um, and both sides were... Because they like King Wabangula actually had like a rather large army and they were well armed. Um, they they had as the same rifles that the British were using, um, and he what what essentially happens is is that Wabangula authorizes a, a chief under him a, a Mashana chief, um, or, or he authorizes one of his people to to do a raid on a Mashana chief who was under the jurisdiction of the of the BSAC. Mm-hmm. And because he, he authorizes this raid, which is sort of like normal, like tribal politics. Um, it, it sort of sets off this, this little war between them. And eventually during this war, um, the, the King would be, um, he would die of smallpox either on January 22nd or 23rd in 1894. And the company would eventually win and they would bring these land under the jurisdiction of the BSAC. So, so Gabagool allowed <laughs> one of these these kings to do a raid on BSAC territory, or well, he he allowed them to do a raid on another on another like rival like chief, okay. like they had they had beef. So they weren't, so they weren't attacking like British South African stuff. They were just attacking like infighting between the two. Um, yeah, tribes. it was. Okay. Yeah, it was in a district of like a British like city, like like a colonial like like city area. So it was like an attack that happened like in the suburbs, but um, or it would be the equivalent of the suburbs, sort of like the outlying region of this this city. You're saying mm-hmm. like be- people were just at shop right, and uh, all of a sudden the fucking <laughs> army rolls up. <laughs> Yeah. Look, I just went out to get milk and fucking grits, bro. What the fuck? A guy, a guy's like, a guy's like keeled over with like a spear in him, and he's just like, I just wanted eggs. <laughs> My wife's gonna kill me. <laughs> I'm telling you, this sounds more and more mafia esque the more you get into it. Yeah, you gotta go ask this guy before you can attack. Well, bro, there's else. like you gotta get. There's definitely a reason the mafia used those tactics at a very brutish a level. The dude's name is Gabagool, you know. <laughs> Um, so, in in 1894, um, the the territories over which the BSAC had concessions or treaties was called um, Zambezia, over what's called the Zambezi River, which f- flowed through the middle of it. 
Um, and th this sort of th this river runs sort of like to the coast into uh, Mozambique, all the way to Lake Tanganyika, which is sort of like where the Congo meets Namibia. I'm really impressed with your pronunciation of that lake, Steve. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, he just keeps going on like, yeah, bitch, I know. I can pronounce shit. <laughs> in, in 1895, um, the territory of, um, of Zambezia was officially changed to Rhodesia. Mm -hmm. And this was mainly due to Rhodes' popularity among the settlers who had been using the name informally since 1891. <gasps> oh my fucking god, I didn't even put those two together until just now. Rhodes and Rhodes. oh, fuck me. How did I miss How that? did you miss that? I need to start. I need. <laughs> Get some more Arizona iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> He's parched. Um, so, as before, the the BCA the BSAC had its own police force, and this was named the British South Africa Police. Um, and they they essentially began to control this territory, um, and the company had hoped to start a new like. Uh, what's called a rand which is which is like a gold mine and the reason why they wanted to they they thought they could do this here was because in ancient times um the shona tribe had developed like they had mined gold deposits there and so there had been a lot of gold in the past but what they had found was that a lot of the gold deposits in the region had been depleted um so most of the settlers who came ended up being farmers rather than miners hmm uh, I would say um, it's probably a little bit better, isn't it, than being a miner? I feel like a farmer's yeah, a being job. a being a farmer is better than being a miner, where it's quite possible, you know, you you die in the darkness and, and you get your fucking you get, hands chopped off. Get the black lung. Get the black lung. And and essentially, this area would be broken up. Um, so, southern Rhodesia, um, which was the title given to the the territory in 1898. Um, which was which would become what is modern day Zimbabwe. Um, the northwestern and northeastern part um, would later be called Northern Rhodesia, which is modern day Zambia. Um, so these these two areas which were split off. Um, so uh, Southern Rhodesia is the one that is like the racist Rhodesia. Like like when racists talk about Rhodesia, they're talking about Southern Rhodesia. Why is it always the South? <laughs> and, and so in, in 1895, um, Rhodes is sort of coming, uh, is sort of like coming at odds with the government of the Transvaal, um, which is one of the sort of like Boer republics that exists in Southern Africa. Um, and he, he doesn't like them because they're not very supportive of mine owners' interests. I, um, I see. And, so he's a petty little bitch. Gotcha. Yeah, he's he's not happy with them because they're getting in the way of his business. The boars are mostly like farmers. Like even today, the like a boar and an Afrikaner is very associated with like redneck. Mm -hmm. Like like they talk like they celebrate like the boar trekkers, who are like the boars that sort of like loaded up their ox wagons and sort of like just went to the frontier after the British moved in. So am mm -hmm. I wrong for thinking like? Early Deontford. Yeah, well, like like Deontford is um, they're descended from Afrikaners. Ah, like, okay. like and they like they like they make fun of 
like Afrikaner culture. Like when they say something is Zef, right? That's like a that's like a that's like a boar like an Afrikaner like slang word. Really? And it's after the I think it's the Ford Zephyr the the car. Oh, I've heard of that car. And it's like this old, um, yeah, the Ford Zephyr, and it was it was sort of considered like the height of like class in in South Africa at that time mm. because the the Ford Zephyr was a, like a British made car. Wow. That was that was popular from the the fifties to the seventies, and it was made in South Africa. So they would say like that's pretty Zeph. <laughs> and, and it's almost like a Cockney like slang because it's like a like a luxury sedan. It sounds like, like it's just like, like a slang, but it sounds like it's a derogatory slang. Like it's one of those things. Like it sounds like it would be positive, but it's actually incredibly derogatory. So, but it it that that that's where that comes from. Like their whole bit is just sort of like, like making fun of of sort of like that culture. And and so he he's sort of coming to odds with the government, um, and Rhodes sort of comes up with this plan along with this other guy named Jameson. Hey! I like this guy. Um, Please don't so, make me regret that. <laughs> and, and so what... Uh, him and Leander star Jameson, and th- this group sort of come up with this plot that they're going to overthrow the Boer government of the Transvaal by, by sort of going in, like sending in this sort of commando team who are going to create an uprising against the government um, by by giving them arms and weapons, like the sort of the foreigners that live there, so Europeans who are not Boers, like sort of convincing them to like move against the government and then arm them to overthrow the government and then like move in once they've taken over. And now I regret liking Mr. Jameson. And this this plot it has the tacit approval of the Secretary of State for the Colonies, Joseph Chamberlain. And Why? so this this is sort of like a quasi illegal raid that is that is not being done with with sort of like the blessing of the British government per se, um, and it ends up being a catastrophic failure. Hmm. Um, and it it forces Rhodes to resign as prime minister, um, and his his older brother um, Colonel Frank Rhodes, who who was a career soldier, um, who took part in it. He went to jail in the Transvaal, convicted of high treason, and he was nearly sentenced to death. Um, and this will all this will all eventually lead to what is called the Second Boer War. So, how did he nearly get sentenced to death? Like, did they want to? But he was like, "No, please, no." I believe they commuted his sentence. Uh, on I think that's usually how most people get out of it. They just, you know, no, please, uh, sir, we sentence you to death. No, no, please, don't do please, it. please, sir, I shan't be overthrowing your government again. No, say, uh, say, Steve, your attempt was poor. It was piss poor because you raised your voice. You have to be like, no, please, sir, don't do it. No. Oh, oh, sir, <laughs> please don't do it. Don't tell my daddy. No, cut my hands off instead. Don't sh- do that. No, I shan't be doing it. I'd rather live without um, hands than die with them. Uh, Rhodes, Rhodes would actually eventually be sued by a man who took part in the raid named Burroughs, and and Burroughs would sue Rhodes on the grounds that he was that he was convinced to partake in the raid under like false pretenses, like like the operation was like falsely presented to him. And the court found in his favor, and and he was suing Rhodes because Burroughs had um, he had lost his leg in the 
in sort of the operation. Like, he had mm-hmm. been shot in the leg and it had to be amputated. Mm-hmm. And so he was awarded what was then 3,000 pounds in damages. Which is roughly what today, if you had to take a wild stab at it? A billion. Uh, I had a I had a conversion earlier. hundred billion dollars. And it seems like it would be about a hundred and sometimes. So it would probably be around like 300,000 pounds. Still not enough to lose a leg, but okay. In in 1896, soon after this this raid goes off and sort of fails, the raid only lasts um, for about a couple days. It goes on from December 29th, 1895 to January 2nd, 1896. Um, but since this is sort of the 19th century, you know, um, mobilizing people is is very slow. And during this time period, um, in 1896, the second um, Matabele War breaks out. So the the two tribes, uh, one that the I had mentioned both of them previously, the Netabele people and the Shona people, they're incited to rebel against um, the British South Africa Company um, by a, a religious leader called the the Malimo. And the, the Malimo is a Metabele like spiritual leader, like a shaman. Um, and, and he sort of like foments the people to anger and he had convinced the, these two tribes that the settlers, about 4,000 of them were responsible for, for causing like drought, locust plagues and cattle disease, mm-hmm. um, that had been sort of ravaging the country at that time. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is sort of like reminiscent of what happens like in the United States, um, before this period, you know, you have like the great ghost dance, which is this sort of like native American, um, religious revival, that is sort of about like reclaiming lands from like white settlers by invoking traditional sort of beliefs. Okay. Um, so, and because uh, the Malimo calls for sort of battle at this time, um, the BC, the BSAC, um, their leader um, is is General Starr. Um, he had sent all of his troops and armaments to fight the Transvaal Republic in the Jameson raid. Um, so the colony is defenseless at this time. Um, the British eventually, like, they, they immediately send troops to suppress the rebellion, um, but it costs a lot of lives on, on both sides. All right. Um, and so, uh, months before the British forces were, were strong enough to break the sieges and, and defend, like, the major settlements, um, or, or it, it took months for them to get to that point, and the war would go on until October of the following year. Hmm. Um, but they, they sort of had this gamble where the military intelligence decides that if they're able to capture or, or kill the Malemo, that it, that they would be able to end the war. And, and a Zulu informant tells, um, he, he tells the British that um, he knows the location of a cave that the Malemo goes to in order to, like, do secret rites. Um, can I ask a question? Because yeah. you brought up Zulu. What is Shaka Zulu? Shaka Zulu was like a Zulu, like like chieftain or king. Okay, I, I just remember hearing that name or that term, and I'm like, what the fuck is a Shaka Zulu? Sounds like a rapper. Yeah, he was a. Uh, Sounds like he should he, be the Wu Tang Clan. He was one of like the like one of the greatest like Zulu kings, and mm-hmm. the, he was sort of in the early 19th century, like the movie like Shaka Zulu is about okay. him. It's about the Battle of Rourke's Drift. Where, okay. where he's very successful in fighting the British. Yeah, Shaka's, Shaka's do- thing is that he was... I've seen the movie a couple times. Um, Shaka's thing is that he was he was successful against 
where other people weren't. Gotcha. So it's like the RZA, the Shizza, Ghostface Killer, Old Dirty Bastard. Come on, man. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Ooh, ten. All right, go ahead. Word is born. Anyways. Um, so they they sort of get this tip from this informant, which the Zulu are like a different tribe. Like there, mm-hmm. there are all these like the main the major tribes in modern day South Africa are all like members of either the the Zulu or the Kosa. And the Zulu were like a straight up warrior tribe, weren't they? Like, yeah, they were. They were. Um, they were warriors. Spartan esque. Um, <laughs> and the um, and the Kosa, I think, were also had a warrior tradition. But the Zulu are, are definitely, I think, more of the like main warriors. Should the the Zulu, the Zulu are, are somewhat similar to tribes in the American West, like the like the Sioux. Mm-hmm. In, in that they're like a very like militant and like strong tribe. Gotcha. Um, so this the Zulu informant tells them the location of this cave, and an, an American scout named Frederick Russell Burnham, and the native commissioner, um, who, who's sort of like the the sheriff like of, of dealing with like native affairs, um, Bonar Armstrong. <laughs> it's like B O N A R. There's no um, way you were saying they, that name without getting laughs. Boner, Bonar. Boner Armstrong, <laughs> fucking boner. Um, they're able to find the cave. Um, they they hide inside. Um, and when the Malemo comes into the cave, he begins to perform a, a dance of immunity, which I believe was a dance to sort of protect him from harm. But which is very common in a lot of like warrior cultures that they'll have like dances or, or talismans or things you can wear or put on that'll sort of like protect you from harm in battle. Um, and, and what they do is um, they they sort of like shoot him as he's doing this dance in the cave, and then they just like run to their horses and book it after they've killed him. Wow, that doesn't um, sound like a bunch of pansies at all. So the the press outside of Africa, outside of the colony, um, they they sort of hail them as heroes of the British Empire. Um, but in like southern, like inside southern Africa. Like, people are very skeptical about what this is going to do to the war. Like, they don't think this is actually going to stop the war. Um, but what happens is, is that after hearing of the assassination, um, Rhodes decides to go and meet with the tribe, and he walks unarmed into the stronghold of the the Matabo Hills, where, where the Netabele are, are, are sort of, like, um, held up. Mm-hmm. And he persuades the warriors to like lay down their arms and end the war. What? He's got the gift of gab, huh? In in 1896, um, after consulting with um, Molteno, that's his um, agriculture guy, he begins to pay more attention to export fruit farming and bought farms in what's called um, Groot uh, Drakenstein, um, Wellington, and Stellenbosch. Um, a year later, he bought um, Roan and Boschendal, and he commissioned a man named Sir Herbert Baker to build him a cottage there, um, which mm-hmm. is still there today. And he makes these into the Rhodes fruit farms, which become like a cornerstone of the modern day like fruit industry in South Africa. Okay. And and like Boschendal, the the fruit company, which is what it eventually becomes to be called, is like a modern day existing like fruit company. Mm-hmm. In 1899, um, sort of relations between um, sort of the British colonists and the Boers breaks down, and what's called the Second Boer War happens on October 11th of 
Um, essentially, they'd come to, to sort of like a loggerhead between the two, and the the Boers strike first, um, sort of encircling the British settlements and, and invading sort of British Southern Africa. On, on October 14th, 1899, um, they begin the siege of the city of Kimberley. Um, Rhodes had been contemplated moving into the town before the siege, um, but the citizens were afraid that his, his presence there would like sort of um, cause the Boers to target Kimberley um, because the Boers don't like him. Moving into town, like re- moving to reside into the town. Yeah, to like, like his, move his, his like to, to oversee operations there. Okay. Uh, because it, it turns out that like he owns most of Kimberley. Oh, as it turns out, <laughs> he he owns like most of the industries there. He owns the local paper. He he owns like the diamond industry there. It, it's pretty much like his town. Hmm. Um, so he he's afraid. Um, so they're afraid that his presence there is going to cause them to attack. Um, so the the mayor of Kimberley and other associates try to dissuade him from doing this, but he ignores their advice. And he's able to, like, move into the town before the siege begins. Um, and he narrowly avoids capture and gets there on October 11th um, before the sort of, like, ultimatum that the Boers had given expired and the Boers invaded southern Africa. Mm, okay. um, and the reason why he did this was in order to force the British government to divert war resources to protect his mining operation there. Did it work? Um, well, it kind of does, and we'll we'll get to that. Um, since most of the resources, like I said, are owned by De Beers, um, he becomes he becomes an important figure in the defense. It's organized by this guy named Colonel Robert uh, Kekowich. As the head of the mining company, um, he he had he almost the assets there, but the military didn't really want him to be there because he would not cooperate fully with them due to him owning most of the stuff. Yeah, I mean, if he owns everything, he doesn't have to cooperate with anybody if he doesn't feel like it. So Rhodes Rhodes wants the military, like the British military, to come in immediately, um, but the colonel doesn't feel that this is necessary because the siege is like very light and they're still able to like to like get people in and out on occasion. So like the situation there is not dire. Okay. Um, and so the the feud between the two men escalates um, when the Diamondsfields Advertiser, which is the local newspaper, um, which Rhodes controls, um, printed information that compromised the military. Um, so and, and and sort of after this happens, um, Kekowich obtains permission from his superior to place Rhodes under arrest if necessary. So Ooh. so it's gotten to a point early on in the siege where. He's already asked for permission to, like, arrest him. Um, civil and military authorities, um, they're, they're not always working together, especially after um, the death of one of the commanders of the garrison, Major Scott Turner. Um, Scott Turner had been, he, he gets killed in a later raid um, that happens, and, and because of his um, death, which is blamed partly on um, sort of Rhodes's meddling, that they, there's sort of like icy relations between them. Okay. Um, the military sort of have this, this, this is sort of their view on Rhodes. Uh, Rhodes had come into his own Kimberley the, the British, for the first time. He, the British military. He, what? The British military. Yes. Okay. Um, Rhodes had come into his own Kimberley for the first time. He was not master in it. 
he found himself a sterilized dictator acting in an atmosphere too tenuous to support his vitality, but sufficient to preserve it from extinction. He was subject to the authority of the military commandant, a galling position for a distinguished statesman who had not a high opinion of the professional capacity of the British officer. Um, the, the, office, the engineers at Rhodes's company, though, um, under the, the chief mechanical engineer there, um, they're actually intr- instrumental in the defense of the town um, because they're able to manufacture fortifications, um, they make an armored train, a watchtower, and they're able to make an own cannon, which they call a uh, long Cecil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's oh. long Cecil over there. Uh, uh, the, the, no, not not Cecil, long Cecil. Hey, you Cecil, get, what do you got? Is that is that a long Cecil? In long Cecil's in some broad's boudoir. <laughs> if you get me drift. <laughs> this is my dick. I call it my long Cecil. Um, so <laughs> okay, you just took my cannons. joke and literalized it in like the most vulgar way. <laughs> I call my dick long um, Cecil. <laughs> <laughs> and so, the the cannon was was completed on January twenty first of nineteen hundred, and it was actually able to hit uh, bore positions that they weren't able to hit previously. How far are we talking? Do you know? Um, it had um, it had a range of it had a range of six thousand six hundred yards. Holy Whoa. shit! That's like, that's like six thousand Peter Norths. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the um, the Rhodes would also during this period also continue to lobby colonial authorities, and he would also travel to London. Um, to, to sort of get the government to take action that would relieve the siege of the city. Um, there had been a previous uh, attempt to sort of break the siege, um, but it had been pushed back by the Boers in what is, a, in, in what is called the Black Week by the British, where they were just beaten uh, repeatedly over the span of a week by the Boers. Oof. Um, the, the final relief uh, of Kimberley, too, once it actually happened, would be very costly for the British, um, they would they would send a relief force, and, and they were able um, to sort of defeat the Boers despite being outnumbered by them. And the siege of the city lasted 124 days, and the Boers shelled it on most days except for Sundays. Hmm. All right. In, in 1899, um, sort of while this is going on, um, Rhodes would sort of come into a relationship um, in, in sort of like a loose terms, not actually like a like any sort of like, it, it, not even like a platonic relationship, just sort of a friendly relationship, with a Polish princess by the name of Catherine uh, uh, Rodzewil. Okay. Um, and she was obsessed with Rhodes, and she had sort of um, set her eyes on sort of having a relationship with him. Let me tell you something, man. Um, she, Someone who went to a Polish be- Catholic school. Polish girls, they don't play. Why yeah. though? Why does she, he want Rhodes so much? Just because he has his own city. Because he's like, he's he's like the Peter Thiel of their day. Oh, he's God. gay. He's yeah. like he, he yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> oh. that oh, he's okay, gay. okay. And where he's like just this incredibly rich like guy who has no relationships. Like he he has no like. There's no like women he's seeing. He's not married. He's like one of the richest men in the world at this time. Wow. He's he was he was prime minister of South Africa, so he's like the most eligible bachelor of like eighteen ninety nine. 
and he's not married, no romantic interest that yeah. up to this point. So yeah, he was gay. It's I mean it's she, all right, but yeah, he was gay. They initially become friends, but Rhodes sort of like breaks off like their relationship, like pulls away from her when he sees that like she's like romantically interested in him. And some some historians and writers think that was because he was um, a homosexual. Um, one of the like Rhodes, when asked about why he never married, he, he essentially said that you know he was too busy to be a dutiful husband. Mm-hmm. He, he said, you know, I have I have too much work to do, which I can kind of believe. That's totally because, fine. Yeah, like that's definitely a possibility too. And so, and real quick, if he was like the richest guy in the world, what happened to all his wealth when he died? Well, we'll we'll get to that. Um, okay. I, I like so, how we're always trying it, to make Steve jump ahead. Because <laughs> well, like, I'm, I'm interested in this now. Like, if this guy, it's like if Jeff Bezos died and wasn't married, it's like, what happened to all your shit? Because you damn and, sure didn't give it to the people that work for you. We know that. And there's there's a thing with like people being incredibly rich, and I've heard this from people before, and I, like I, I've heard other like sort of like academics and like sort of like people who study these things like comment on it and say that like there's sort of this belief that like once you become like so wealthy that your business becomes the main fulfillment in your life, and you don't really need like like a family if that means anything. Like it's like your baby. Your business like, is like, like your child. Yeah, um, but. He was incredibly close with his um, secretary, who was a man by the name of uh, Neville Pickering. Okay. And it's believed that by by one writer, um, a story named Robin Brown believes that they had, had a homosexual relationship because Rhodes had made Pickering the sole benefactory of his will, uh, oh, allegedly. Oh, yeah, he was gay as fuck. <laughs> but, but Rhodes had outlived Pickering because Pickering had died after, after getting, um, uh, getting sepsis. Oh, so, he could have been so rich. So Pickering, Pickering dies allegedly in Rhodes's arms after Rhodes had tried to like nurse him back to health for six weeks. Like I get it's not the uh, popular uh, sentiment of the day, but I feel like if he just come out and be like, "Hey, this is my dude, this is my lover," that it, it would have been a little bit easier for him. Well, you have to remember this is also during the period where like Oscar Wilde was sent to do like hard work. Bro, labor homosexuality because, was because a criminal offense. It was a criminal it offense. Was, it was my thing a, is, yo. My thing is, this motherfucker basically. It doesn't to, matter. That's like one of those Ryan, deal breakers. You, you have to remember, like Alan Turing, after World War II, the man who literally saved like democracy and the British Empire. Uh-huh. He was forced to be chemically castrated by the government when it came out that he was. Gay. And he ended up committing what? suicide. Yeah, he he allegedly, but but most likely, yes, he he probably committed. It's pretty suicide. fucking they, clear, but yeah, I they they. They like he was literally condemned by a court to become. Have you ever seen that that uh, movie Ryan with Burlington Co Factory? I mean Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's fan. But it's fantastic in the way that it portrays. Uh, Steve, I, you're gonna have to help me. I don't remember. Isn't it like Match Game? Yeah, it's something. It's something like that. Um, I didn't know that, dude. You I did not. I see. I, you should definitely. I, I, okay. It's uh, the were... imitation game. You should absolutely yeah, watch it. It's super accurate as far as the tone of what happened to Alan Turing. It's fucked see, up, my, dude. My under or my thought process was that yes, back in those days, homosexuality was illegal, but like, but. If you were a somebody, or if you had money, you could kind of like, nah, you'd just kind of skirt that law. That's what this podcast does, right? It opens us up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and he was also, when, when he was chemically castrated, um, Tur- that was under probation. 
his his choices were either hard like going to prison like serious like prison or or probation and like chemical castration that's that's and that and that those laws stay on the book until i think the it's yeah it's like the late 60s early 70s in britain the late 60s dude who was that TV show host that was a huge pedo? They should have got his ass. Oh, Jimmy Sawville? Yeah, Jimmy Sawville. Well, let's not yeah, let's but, not connect pedophiles with homosexuals, yeah, please. Yeah, what's uh because they're not the same. Because there was a guy like I, I was reading sort of this looking up about um you know, Rhodes being gay and like one of the critics was this guy who was probably like a very like conservative in like the British political party. Like he's probably a Tory like mm-hmm. historian and he was mad about the implication that Rhodes could have been gay and because he was like in his argument he was associating that they were saying Rhodes was a pedophile mm-hmm. but like it, it's sort of that old like 50s thing of like if you're gay you're a pedophile it's this which is not so like abhorrent. <laughs> which is yeah, which is no. in no me, way a correlation that. I know that's not yeah, I know that's that. not what I'm you not were tra- saying yeah, yeah I'm not trying yeah. to equate homosexuality no, with no you were, you were just non-secondary Jimmy should have been fucking he should have been taken out Jimmy Seville should have been taken out back and shot in the fucking dick until yeah. he died from it yeah not, you shouldn't be chemically castrating somebody just because they're gay but yeah it, it, Seville should have been buried in cement yeah it's a different argument but yeah the thing the yeah thing, it's it's a completely different thing yeah you just you um, just non-secondary so, <laughs> so when so when like Rhodes sort of like pushes away um the princess he like it, he pays her debts because you know as an aristocrat she she's like mostly living on debt like a lot of aristocrats um and, and sends her back to london um from south africa and the there here, bitch. <laughs> and, and there she writes and then she writes a book called the resurrection of peter which is like a defense of Rhodes. Um, I'll who's peter didn't get resurrected in her presence fuck. <laughs> so so Rhodes is stalked by the princess, um, and, and eventually what happens is that she, she begins spreading a rumor that she was engaged to Rhodes and that they were having an affair, um, and she does this in order to sort of, like, get him to marry her, because, like, having an affair during this time period as well is a crime in the British Empire. Wow. Um, but, but Rhodes, um, and she asks him to marry her, but he, but he refuses, yeah. Um, so, in in 1901, as sort of like a thing that's ongoing, um, the princess had been committing like like loan fraud, and she accuses like the the person that she claims is like her backer or creditor in these loans is Rhodes, and Rhodes of course didn't do this, so she claims that he was he was involved in this loan fraud. Um, but he, he goes to trial and he testifies against her accusation and she would eventually be jailed for two years for, for fraud. Good is what she gets. Um, and, and after that too, uh, she would write a biography of Rhodes called, uh, Cecil Rhodes, man and empire maker. And, and even after this, she's like still like madly in love with him. So this Why? is very much like the yandere princess. I think some people Why just develop, so you know, some it's probably pathological. I mean, some people just develop she, it. She had been married multiple times and she had like she she had a couple kids out of like wedlock and stuff. So she was like all over the place like romantically. But even even before this trial was done, um Rhodes dies. Oh, Rhodes we die of- Rhodes died at the age of 48 of, of heart failure at, at his seaside college in uh, Musenberg. His seaside college? He was a 
Cottage. Professor? Oh, Cottage. Cottage, cottage. okay. Um, so the, the government would arrange like an epic journey by train from from the Cape to to what was then Rhodesia. What did I have? Um, a heart failure. Oh, okay. So so essentially the health problems he's had his entire life eventually like killed him. Um, which is which is another reason why he might have not married because he he expected you know he'd die pretty young. Uh, I know someone like that. They're like sixty three, and they pretty much have a bad history of heart problems in their family. So they literally. Did, <laughs> I, it sounds very selfish. Like it almost sounds like a bullshit excuse, what? but they literally say it all the time. They're like, "I'm, I never married because women are a pain in the ass." That's their first thing, and the second oh. thing is that they're gonna die. Like, I could die at any minute. Well, it's like the thing, too, that you don't want to, like, marry someone and then, like, die on them in a couple years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to at least like wait for him, the life insurance penalty to roll over. With, with yeah, him, it wouldn't be as Coulson. bad. <laughs> with him, it wouldn't be as bad, but if, like, it's us, like, if we keeled over and died, right. like, tomorrow, would there be enough money in our bank accounts to cover, like, the very expensive prospect of, you know, like... Our, our, our burial and our, our handling. Speaking of, of that, our, can we get some more sponsors? Like, <laughs> hey, it's in the fucking forest somewhere. Just let the animals get me. You don't need All right, calm down there, Frank ball. Reynolds. <laughs> when I died, DeAndre, you just throw me in the trash. <laughs> no, listen, honestly, just spread me. Just spread my remains around Disney, but don't cremate me. I want to do one of those tri- bougie hipster things where I get thrown in with a, a growing tree. <laughs> oh, my God, I've seen that. It looks actually kind of cool. The Trilateral Troika, bought you by Larry's Coffin. <laughs> Two for one special. You die, we cry, but we also make money. Come on down and see oh us. My Get God. a Larry. It's not scary. <laughs> I was so hoping for like this massive curveball, curveball to come when you were like, yeah, no, Cecil Rhodes, he died in his, his nice harborside cottage. I was really expecting a curveball of like, by uh, an assassin named Ramon Mercader. He's back. <laughs> well, no, wait, wait. When did Rhodes die? What year? 1902. Yes. He died before. So Rhodes it was Ramon's before. father. It was Ramon Sr. <laughs> Ramon Mercader. First, I killed Rhodes. Then, I killed. <laughs> it took a while because he kept getting exiled. Trotsky. <laughs> okay, I'm leaving. Trot- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just forgot my keys. You don't have to Leon kill me Trotsky. over it. I've left before. Leon Trotsky is like their Carmen San Diego, where they have to find what city he's in because he keeps getting exiled. So they have to go to all these different locations to track Russia. him down. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Similar. Oh, lo siento. Lo similar dress. Lo siento. <laughs> oh my god. Oh shit. Um, so after he dies. The, the government puts on like this they, they have like a funeral train like think of like what happened with Lincoln so they take him all the way from from the Cape to Rhodesia what happened with Lincoln well Lincoln when he dies they took a funeral train all the way from from Washington to Illinois and it like just goes through like it stops at every town and people come to like pay their respects like the same Kinda thing like is Kennedy's, right yeah, sort of. Well, Kennedy just had the cart that went from the White House to to Arlington. I thought he was on a train, too, at some point, and that's where we get that real famous picture of um, what's-his-nuts saluting, the little kid. Of um, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's that's from the, the state funeral. That, that's from when they were taking him to Arlington. To Arlington, okay, okay. Um, so 
it, when the train goes through Kimberly, it's it's reported that like most of the population like came out to like pay their respects, um, and he was finally laid to rest at what is called uh, World's View, which is a, a hilltop in um, Bulawayo in what is modern day Zimbabwe. Um, today, his gravesite is part of uh, Matobo National Park in Zimbabwe. Now, how much? Is that like, how are people backlash? okay with that? <laughs> yeah, like how much backlash well, is this getting? Well, he's there. Um, recently, some of like Robert Mugabe's like party members, like uh, about a decade or so ago, they, they had sort of lobbied as sort of like a pre-election like thing to gain popularity, saying that they should remove Rhodes and send him to um, Britain. But um, Mugabe disagreed with this, and also like local historians disagreed with it as well, because they said it would be like erasing a part of their history if they like removed him. Wait, Robert Robert Mugabe. Robert fucking Mugabe? <laughs> he yeah. wanted Wait. he wanted Cecil's statue gone. Well, no, it's not. It's it's his like his gravesite. Or, or, okay, his grave. He wanted that gone, like Mugabe. No, he wanted it to stay. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I missed so it. I thought, like, the, he was the reason there, the reasoning there is, is that like everybody knows like Rhodes is bad, and that Robert Mugabe helped overthrow Rhodesia. So without Rhodesia existing, you know the whole reason for the legitimacy of his party oh, okay. ceases to exist. Okay, I get it. So yeah, it's just okay. sort of like the cyclical nature of history, where it's not like the United States, where you know where you have Confederate monuments and people are calling these people like heroes. It's like that's that's where Robert Mugabe or that's where um, that's Cecil reason. Rhodes yeah. is buried, and it's yeah. like that's where he was buried. It's not like Cecil Rhodes, like the great hero. Yeah. Well, just um, to but, specify, actually, because I think you, you undersold your point there. Confederate statues were made in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they're not; they're fake. Well, well, they're they're explicitly to to sort of like support white supremacy. Like even during their like inaugurating, like when they when they unveil the statues, you can read the speeches they gave. Oh, it's terrible. They talk about how how these men were like. That like the scions of the white race and like we're we're protecting like you know white white supremacy in the south from like the the marauding hordes of like black people. Right. What's and what's it called? The, uh, it's the they're lost cause. That's what they are. Yeah, it's like the lost the well the lost cause is essentially that that a group like a select group of people failed the Confederacy. It wasn't just that the Confederacy was a garbage country that was like doomed to fail regardless of what happened. It, it's that they they have a couple generals like Hood. Um, Long Street, where they just sort of say, like, well, these men who bungled these things and weren't our favorite generals, they're the reason why it failed, you know, if they hadn't done what they did, you know, the, the Confederacy would have still been around. And let's not forget, most of those Confederate statues went up right around the time of the Civil Rights Movement. Yes, before. well, so well there was there was a resurgence themselves. in those. Uh, most yeah. of the ones that are up were put up sort of before World War One, and, and soon after World War One, with the resurgence of the, with the second Ku Klux Klan. It was kind of like, hey, we're going to erect these statues of these in- inflammatorily racist people just so we can look at minorities in our area and be like, ha, just so you know your place. And it's disgusting. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was pretty bad. And uh, honestly, it's, it's like a really touchy subject uh, So with a lot of people down here. So I think we should well, definitely – we could they even – They can get over it. They never will because they were inculcated by 
family and education systems that listen i'm going to tell you something i read um moving you know when i lived in boston you know obviously the education system in massachusetts is very different from down here in florida and i remember moving down here and specifically because i've always had an interest in history i i specifically remember how different things were taught down here where it wasn't the civil war it was the war of northern aggression obviously but it went to like it was taught that the, the south basically won somehow how it's taught i don't i don't really understand how they connected those mm-hmm. um but it's, it's that and then it's also how you know the south was just these poor little farmers who were just trying to live and the big bad feds came in there and i'm like i remember i specifically remember being in school being like but that's not true and my instructor was like yes it is and just would not even entertain any discussion yeah. about it I, well i i never got anything like like that um but it it does it does happen so it was like a mixed thing like not every school in it, depending on where you were in Florida, like in Brevard County, the the school curriculum wasn't like that. Yeah, it's not. It's not. And Florida's kind of a unique scenario, anyway. Yeah. So you can't really. But, uh, you can't really say one way or the other about the. I'm whole just kind of saying the difference between South. The, like the when South did you move? Florida just happened to be where. I How went old to were you? When I moved down here. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, uh, let me think. Probably 15. So I was almost 30, and I definitely still see. Oh, oh yeah, shit. it's it's there. You know, it's there, but it's not. It's really. I don't think it's the. Uh, um, it's not the popular, majority. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not like the popular um, sentiment nowadays, but it definitely was there, and it definitely still lingers around because people just refuse to give up on that. Well, in that way, just to connect this back to what we we're discussing, I'm sure there are plenty of Britons who believe well, that everything Rhodes did was correct. Right. Well, we'll 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 talk about that. Um, so, at, at the time of his death, like I said, Rhodes was considered the wealthiest man in the world. Um, so, in his first will, written in 1877, before he had accumulated his wealth, uh, Rhodes had wanted to create a, a secret society that would bring the whole world under British rule. And the the exact wording from his will the is the world. Yeah. So. To and for the establishment, promotion, and development of a secret society, the true aim and object whereof shall be for the extension of British rule throughout the world, the perfecting of a system of immigration from the United Kingdom, and a colonization by British subjects of all lands where the means of livelihood are attainable by energy, labor, and enterprise, and especially the occupation by British settlers of the entire continent of Africa, the Holy Land, the Valley of the Euphrates, the islands of Cyprus and Candia, the whole of South America, the islands of the Pacific, not heretofore possessed by Great Britain, the whole of the Malay Archipelago, the seaboard of China and Japan. Just the, ulti- the whole fucking world, because these guys owned everything No, else. Brian, don't you interrupt him, because one of the things that separates <laughs> the trilateral troika from every other, every other podcast is thick receipts. <laughs> the, Steve reads the ultimate, thick receipts. <laughs> the ultimate, the ultimate recovery of the United States of America as an integral part of the British Empire, the inauguration of a system of colonial representation in the Imperial Parliament, which may tend to weld together disjointed members of the Empire, and finally, the foundation of so great a power as to render wars impossible and promote the best interests of humanity. Uh, I like the very the, last like five words. Yeah, that'd said, be great. You know, rendering wars impossible. Um, Rhodes' final will left a large area of land on the slopes of the Table Mountain, 
um, to the South African nation. Um, this became the University of Cape Town, and another part became the Kirstenbosch National Botanical Garden, um, which is like a very important like conservation area today. Oh, okay. Cool. Rhodes also founded the Rhodes Scholarship, um, which no, was no. in his last will and testament. And it provided for the establishment of the scholarship, which was the world's first international study program. See, this is the um, thing: is they even bastards leave some good behind, you know? And just, the, just wait, because Steve's about to tell us how the Rhodes Scholarship's actually horrific. Well, <laughs> it's 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 actually not because the the scholarship enabled students from territories under British rule or formerly under British rule and from Germany to study in Rhodes alma mater, the University of Oxford. Rhodes's aims were to promote the leadership that marked, that was marked by public spirit and good character, and also to render war impossible by promoting like friendship between the great powers. And that included the United States, right? Yeah. So he wanted the British Empire um, to to sort of become like a superpower that had um, all of its um, Commonwealth colonies as like members of Parliament, like that they would have representation. And that the British Parliament would, in a lot of terms, become like a United Nations. All I'm hearing is that this guy was trying to get going the New World Order, One World Currency, the, the Bilderberg and, Group. We've already talked about it. It's out of control. Rose, he, he, also <laughs> included, he also included American students because he wanted to create a breed of, quote-unquote, American philosopher kings who would, um, who would want the United States to rejoin the British Empire. So he wanted to brainwash Americans into believing that going back and joining the British Empire would be a better idea. Well, he wanted them to like see how like great the British Empire was. He was a big British Empire. It, it wasn't so much like they weren't like Manchurian candidating them. It was like, hey, you know, come study in Britain, see how great he it is. He was the CEO of the British Empire. It was standing. It was birthright Great Britain. <laughs> oh my As, God. And and Rhodes included the Germans because he he sort of admired the Kaiser. Um, and didn't and correct me if I'm wrong. He he liked the Kaiser, and Hitler kind of liked him. And well, there there are some quotes about Hitler that sort of relate to him liking Rhodes, but they're but we can't like confirm them. They're oh, not, they're, they're they're like yeah, they're apocryphal. Okay, um, but knowing what we know about the two of them, it's probably there, not that wrong. There was a propaganda film about the Boers made by the Nazis, like about the Boer War, and Rhodes is like a villain in it, so it wasn't like. Mm. They were like, this guy's cool and great. He was still just like a conniving like Englishman. Um, and he also Rhodes was also a fan of like Irish nationalism. Like he was friends with Irish nationalists, and he believed in like Irish independence <gasps> and them being within the. Wow, Congo. that's kind of hot taken. Ah, uh, wow, that's a that's a fucking so he was thermite level. So he was he was time. cool with them. Like he wasn't like he wasn't friends with any of like the people that would lead like the Easter rising or anything like that. But he was like the more like moderate, like Irish, like independence seekers. He was like friends with them because he studied alongside them at like Oxford and like and became business partners with them. Yeah. Shout out to James Connolly for the Easter rising, but okay. Um, so there, there are a number of memorials to Rhodes. Um, there's one on devil's peak in Cape town, um, which is sort of like the, which was like his favorite spot to visit. And it's of him looking down um, north and east, um, sort of on the route that the railway takes that would go from Cape Town to Cairo. Um, 
and from 1910 to 1984, Rhodes's house in Cape Town, which was called uh, Groot Shore, was the official Cape residence of the prime ministers of South Africa, and it continued to be the presidential um, residence until the last um, sort of apartheid president of South Africa, F.W. de Klerk. His, his birthplace established, was established in 1938 as a memorial museum, and it's now known as the Bishops of Stratford Museum, and that's in the UK. Okay. Um, his cottage where he died um, is, a, is a heritage site. Um, oh, world, a World Heritage Site? He has a World Heritage Site, and it's a, um, it's a museum operated by the Historical Conservation Society there, and it's open to the public. I'm so um, and mixed the, about that. Like, I get it that it's a historical site, but it's a historical site of a shithead. And you know and I mean? you can read like most of his materials there, and it also includes the original like De Beers uh, boardroom table where they did most of like their diamond trading. So I'm not saying people should study Hitler, but i I disagree uh, with I disagree with you when you say it's it's like a well, site yeah, about you, you it's a to, site about a to, shithead. You need to have. I'm talking about I'm talking to Ryan. I'm saying like. You gotta study these kinds of people. Yeah, I I agree with you a hundred percent. Because when you don't, you have cases like like the Soviet Union or East Germany. They're just full of like neo Nazis now, because like the education system there didn't address any of these people whatsoever beyond just like saying like they were bad. They deliberately left them out like, because they, it was they, so. Yeah, they del- this tasteful. And then you have people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then people go and they like they're like, oh, the government doesn't like these people. Let's see what they're all about. And then they're like, oh. And I don't, well, don't want to sound like I'm beating up on you. Either. Like that's not like what I'm saying. They must be good. I'm, I agree with your sentiment. Like, like he was Cecil an Rhodes, asshole. But... I feel like was an awful person. Yeah, and so you and you learn you that should Cecil be a Rhodes is gigantic asterisk next to his yeah unquote, historical house. Like 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 uh, what's his nuts home run ball? But they put that huge asterisk on it. Was it Barry Bonds? Like. He needs something to be like, yeah, this is historical. Well, important. well, first what? off, there's no evidence that Rhodes was ever juicing. Second of all, <laughs> he didn't he didn't smack like sixty something homers in a season. And and Rhodes Rhodes never bet against his own team. He never bet against his own team. Just saying. Oh, oh who was he? Only bet for his team to uh, win. Who's Pete, the, Rose. Pete Rose? Pete, yeah. yeah, Pete Rose needs to be let let back in the hall of, or put him in the hall of fame. Get over yourselves, guys. Um. So. Uh, Rhodes University College, which is now called Rhodes University in Grahamstown, um, was was founded um, in 1904 um, and, and named by an act of parliament. Um, and the residents um, of Kimberley in, in the Northern Cape elected to build a memorial to Rhodes' honor in 1907. Um, it's a 17-2-ton bronze statue which depicts Rhodes on a horse looking north with a map in hand and dressed as he was when he met with the um, the tribal leaders during the second uh, Montebelli War. You said a 17-2-ton statue. Yeah, it's a big bronze statue. It's not like the Confederate statues. It's a real bronze statue. Um, so in, in 2015, there begins to be this, this movement um, and you might have heard about it. It was called Roads Must Fall. And this is sort of like a social media movement that began with student protests at the University of Cape Town. Um, and they successfully petitioned um, the university to remove a statue of Rhodes that was on the campus. Okay. Um, and the, it was also a broader goal of like, they wanted to like highlight the lack of like systematic post-apartheid 
like racial transformation in South African institutions that even though like apartheid has been over for over 20 years that a lot of the institutions haven't really like changed the way they portray themselves you know having statues of people like roads up as opposed to more um traditional like like sort of like native african like heroes of black african heroes they're just basically pay- paying lip service then. Like, oh, yeah, no, we're totally not doing that anymore, but we're going to leave these really bad statues. Just up. just not updating. And, like, and two, like, the Boers are African. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they're they descended from people who've lived in Africa for hundreds of years. Yeah. Maybe. And, like, and like you, you can't, like, look at them and say, like, you're not African. Um, but on the other hand, you can't have, like, the edifices of their, like, racist, like, their institutionalized racist society still left over. Yeah, because yeah. um, I mean, how do you how do you like how do you rec- like reconcile that with yourself walking around and seeing that statue every day, knowing what happened to your ancestors? Yeah, and so what what happens is this launches um, this launches a, a series of like protests and and vandalism um, from other allied movements in South Africa and other countries in, in opposition to like Rhodes memorials. Like one of them, a bust of his, like the nose gets like broken off. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> and, and so one of them is to change the name of Rhodes University and to remove a statue of Rhodes from Oral College, Oxford. Um, but Oxford University opted to keep the, the Rhodes statue that it has despite the protests against it. Um, Oral College claimed that they would lose about a hundred million pounds worth of gifts if they removed the statue. So they're not totally, but some of their funding was contingent on a statue? Well, yes, because remember, the Rhodes Scholarship is to Oxford, so yeah. it's an integral part of like their, their endowment. And, and, a number of, um, and a number of British academics also came to the defense of Rhodes, um, and they claimed that some of the racist statements attributed to Rhodes are undocumented, if not spurious. So they essentially said that, like, while Rhodes is racist, he's no more racist than, like, other people of the period. And mm-hmm. that and that there are, like, some claims and, like, quotes from him that get, that get tranced about, but they're not really, like, from him, that they can't be really, like, tied to him. Yeah, okay. Um, and so... And so as part of his like legacy, like I said, um, he left a, a large amount of money t- that was financed young scholars at Oxford through the Rhodes Scholarship and other scholarships. Um, but the race of the of the people who received it was not stipulated. They only had to be a resident of of those countries oh, and, okay. and, and uh-huh. locations. So currently at that time of the protests in Oxford, there were a number of South African and Zimbabwean um, recipients of the funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked one of them, who was one of the leaders of the scholarship who had been receiving it, uh, his name was uh, Notokoso uh, Kwabe, and, and his, his response was um, that the scholarship does not buy our silence. There is no hypocrisy and being a recipient of a Rhodes Scholarship and being publicly critical of Cecil Rhodes and his legacy. There is no clause that binds us to find the good in Rhodes' character, nor to sanitize the imperialist colonial agenda he propagated. And that's a fair, that's like a fair assessment. So, and it it seems to be a very nuanced thing of like, you can still like tear down the monument that sort of glorifies the man, but you can still like use the scholarship that has his name and still have the college that bears his name. Um, because you know he he did fund it he did it wouldn't exist for that 
but you're using it for a good um, despite his sort of legacy. Okay. And there, there could be an argument made that if, if you have like an institution like that that is named after this person, um, that it sort of rehabilitates their image. But I don't really think that's true because a lot of people are sort of you know detached from history in that regard. Mm-hmm. Like if you took away the big statue, like they wouldn't know who Rhodes was or like yeah. who who you he just know was. Him as the Rhodes Scholar guy. Yeah, and like like you like you didn't even know it was uh, the Rhodes Scholar. No, I, I had no idea that he was the Rhodes Scholar guy. So, um, just so all 16 of our listeners, um, if they were curious about, you know, the actual funniest guy on this podcast being MIA, his internet went down. Um, he is back in here listening, but unfortunately he can't get his recording back up, so he missed the last five minutes. But he did hear it, I guess we could say. He was here in spirit, and Steve's he was here in spirit, spirit, and, and Biggins, uh, even the smallest man. And, and in, out of respect for Steve, I'm going to end my part of this by saying, in conclusion, Cecil Rhodes was a man of contrasts. <laughs> Cecil Rhodes? Gay question mark? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, just that Lionel Hutz card where it's just like, Cecil Rhodes gay? <laughs> oh, they left the punctuation off this. Oh, let me, let me fix this. Let me add a comma. All right. Well, this episode will be up soon. We invite All right. everybody Every- to come like and follow our Facebook pages. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Everybody stay healthy and follow the quarantine for the love of God. Please, for the love of God, I'm so tired of drinking. Oh, my God, I have to get out of my fucking house. I'm, I can't drink anymore. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, goodbye and good luck. Later. Later.